What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown, Cleveland sports, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I'm still in pain. I can't figure out if it's my knee or my back or both, or if one's just kind of playing ping pong with the other. But it's not been a fun week to be Chris. That's all. That's all. I don't like to talk about myself in the third person, so that means I'm really banged up. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that your your body is failing you uh, this week. I may, I may have to retire um, and, and start a podcast. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe I'll do a reverse Joe Thomas and retire and go play football. <laughs> um, well, uh, on my end, I do have two uh, public service announcements. First off, uh, we are recording in the midst of a tornado watch in Nashville. So if you hear some sirens and if you hear me screaming... Um, I'm just going downstairs. Tie yourself to a water pipe right now. (laughs) Uh, And then secondly, a little technical difficulties with getting last week's episode out. So um, apologies for that. It will be posted at some point, um, hopefully in conjunction with this episode. But if not, um, it it will get up there at some point. And and during that podcast, we, we, Chris, we go into detail uh, going over the Browns Friday trades bonanza that they go on, uh, getting Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry, uh, Demarius Randall, and shipping out Danny Shelton and Deshaun Kaiser. So in this episode, we're not really going to talk about those moves. Uh, we're not going to have our reactions to those moves. Obviously, we're going to talk about those players a little bit, but we are going to talk about the moves that the Browns made in free agency, signing a slew of players to this roster. Chris, overall, uh, just throw out a letter grade for this first batch of signings that have been brought on for the Browns. I would say overall a B plus. Uh, I think they did a fine job. The only reason I don't say A is because it's just hard for me to go out and, and, and slap an A on something before I see the result on the field. Uh, but but I'm going to give it a B plus because I think the front office realized that they had a lot of resources to work with, attacked a number of different needs. Clearly the secondary was a high priority this offseason. John Dorsey wanted to go out and get some depth in the secondary, get some experience there, bringing in three corners, possibly moving Demarius Randall to safety. So three-fourths of the starting secondary could have come in via free agency or trade here. So I like that they went out and prioritized a position that – that is not easy for a rookie to come in and have success. I mean, we think about some guys like Morris Claiborne, Joe Hayden, but those guys, even the even the really good ones, took a year or two to find their sea legs. Um, and so, so I think that for a young team to have a more experienced secondary, which was a clear weakness of the Browns last year, uh, is a very positive thing. Uh, so overall, I would slap a B plus on this. This uh, a very good job by John Dorsey. Yeah, um, I, I like all the moves. If I'm going to give it a grade, I would give these free agents a B-. And, and, and for that, it, I'm not upset with the moves. Um, but heading into free agency, Chris, we talked about the Browns are going to make a huge splash in, in the market and, and spend on some playmakers. Now, it turns out that they went into the trade market and got their playmakers, and I'm giving those trades an A. You know, Jarvis Landry, Ty, Tyrod Taylor, Pro Bowlers, uh, Demarius Randall can can fill a need in free safety and, and is young still on his rookie deal those are the playmakers that they got in the offseason 
this batch of free agents, uh, I think addresses the lack of depth and just gets the Browns back onto an equal playing field with the rest of the league and gives them uh, a viable foundation to build off of and to bring those playmakers in. Uh, they, they were pretty tempered, uh, these contracts. You know, TJ Carey's deal, uh, four years, $30 million. I think the, the highest paid free agent they brought in was Chris Hubbard uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, their kind of sixth-man tackle. I think he's going to slot in at right tackle. I, I think his deal is five years, $56 million. So they didn't go hog wild like we expected they didn't bring in game-changing playmakers there were some uh, available on the market i'm looking at alan robinson looking at malcolm butler and tremaine johnson uh there were guys available e- even some of the roster cuts uh you know indomitian sue's still out there tyron mateo uh was cut um they didn't they didn't bring in a quarterback and that was to be expected once getting taylor in but they didn't bring a playmaker in so i'm giving it a b minus that's not to say i i am disappointed i think these are great solid moves. Uh, the the oldest player they brought in was Donald Stevenson on a one year deal, uh, and he's 29. The rest of these guys are between the ages of 25 and 28. I think that's fantastic. Uh, they they level set and they got a foundation. Uh, I think these are solid, you know, low, not head turning moves, but I think they are gonna all pay out and pay some dividends in the future. And to be fair to the Browns, they did try. Uh, they at least tried to go after Nate Soldier. Uh, when, when that when that rumor came around, it became clear to me that Joe Thomas wasn't coming back. Because why why chase Nate Soldier if uh, you know you got your Hall of Famer coming back? We'll get to that in a bit. bit. Right. Um, and I, I think it was clear to John Dorsey that Kirk Cousins wasn't coming to Cleveland. Hence the proactive trade for Tyrod Taylor prior to free agency. Um, I, I think that the writing was on the wall. He knew that the Browns, even though they had the cap space, just didn't have the team Kirk Cousins was looking for. And and I don't blame him. I mean, I, I if I'm Kirk Cousins, Denver and Minnesota would be my top two choices too. So bravo to Kirk. Uh, tip of the cat to him. He's going to get paid, and he's on a team that, that could very well be one of the best teams in the NFC. Um, and I think that he was looking for that win-win kind of combination. Uh, but But kudos to John Dorsey for not just – you know, believing in hype or anything like that. He saw what was up, and he went out and did something about it. So I agree with you, Bob. The trades were a little bit stronger than the free agent signings given how much cap space the Browns had. But at the same time, uh, I agree with you. They, they got some really good players. They, they, they got depth at key positions, two offensive tackles to, to replace Joe Thomas, as, as we will talk about a little bit more later, uh, three cornerbacks to address a severe uh, – area of need so so they clearly identified some major weaknesses on this team and and spruced up the depth and 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 I like that they didn't go hog wild for these guys because it still keeps the cap flexibility in the future you know if if you can't get a game changer don't overpay for someone because you have the cap space and so I I admire John Dorsey for sticking to his guns and 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 doing a a very um well-planned out free agency the only move that's a little bit of a head scratcher is Carlos Hyde. And 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 I don't want the listeners to get the wrong idea here. I like Carlos Hyde. I think he's a, a very good running back. But to me, you go out and sign Carlos Hyde right after you got rid of Isaiah Crowell. I, I don't know what happened with Isaiah Crowell in Cleveland, but for whatever reason he was not getting the touches that that I felt he should have been getting. Um and and, and yeah, Carlos Hyde is a bit of an upgrade to Isaiah Crowell, but I don't get 
I don't see a huge improvement from Isaiah Crowell to Carlos Hyde. That was a little bit of a head-scratcher, but clearly something was off with Crowell here. Uh, Maybe he just wasn't on the same page with the coaching staff or whatnot, needed a change of scenery. Uh, but, But it was odd that they went after a running back in free agency. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people uh, have been hammering home the, the idea of Saquon Barkley becoming a Brown with one of those first two first round picks. I think signing Hyde uh, to a three year deal like this kind of puts the end to those rumors. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think uh, Crowell, I was, I was a believer in him. Um, and I do think uh, he did not get the fairest of shots, but I cannot doubt uh, the ability that Carlos Hyde has on the field when healthy is far better than, than what Isaiah Crowell has. And I think uh, in the AFC North, you need a bruising running back. You already have a, a, a versatile guy in Duke Johnson. I think already uh, the Browns have upgraded the running back position. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, it was pretty clear uh really just a couple games into this last season that Crowell was not long to, to remain a Cleveland Brown. So I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I, I am surprised that, you know, it's not surprising that they got, they went out and got two cornerbacks. Uh, I'm, I am surprised that they didn't go and get one of the best corners, uh, in the market. TJ Carey, um, is getting, it's not an outrageous deal, but he's getting paid starter money. So he's going to be one of your starters. Um, you know, reports out of Oakland, um, and from from what I've seen, you know, he's not a game changing player. Um, so so I wish they had gotten a better guy. I'm actually more excited about Terrence Mitchell, who is a little bit younger. Um, you know, was a starting cornerback uh, in the 2017 season for for the Kansas City Chiefs. Eventually, he gets benched and doesn't even uh, dress for a couple of games. But he had four interceptions to start uh, this season for for Kansas City. So I think uh, Mitchell. Uh, could be one of those uh, guys that they actually signed for potential in free agency. And I think that you can identify a couple of these players in that regard. Uh, another one that I like is Chris Hubbard, who spot started for the Steelers all along the offensive line last season. Uh, and it looks like he's going to slot in at right tackle. Um, I think they, they bought low on him and, and, and bought on his potential. Um, which uh, doesn't really happen in free agency. Usually you're paying for past performance, but I think this batch of, of free agents that they brought in coming off of their rookie deals, majority of them, uh, they, they were actually buying out potential um, and, and they could prob- some of these guys could potentially outperform their deals. Yeah, I think that's what I like the most about these signings. And, and you're right, Bob. Uh, you, you, I'm going to echo you. Chris Hubbard is a guy I was very thrilled that they signed away from Pittsburgh. I think he's a very versatile lineman. He will definitely add depth here. And, and I like Donald Stevenson, too. I, I just like the fact that they went after two solid guys to shore up some depth on, on what turned out to be kind of a weakness last year. I mean, ever, going in, they spent big money to bring some big free agents in. Everyone thought the offensive line was going to be this iron kind of curtain, and, and, it, and it didn't really work out that way. And even before Joan Thomas's injury, there, there were just some problems with the offensive line. Um, so hopefully that the guys they signed are, are going to be a little more healthy this year, and, and, and hopefully the, the, these new guys they brought in are going to add some depth. I still think they're not done with the offensive line, Bob, and, and especially with Joe Thomas retiring. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they bring in yet another offensive lineman 
with a premium draft pick. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree. And before before we get into uh, offensive line and Joe Thomas talk, uh, just one last question for you is uh, the Browns did trade Jason McCourty to the Patriots in exchange for, uh, I think the, they gave a seventh round pick and, and got the Pats sixth round pick back. Um, you know, earlier in the day they announced that they were cutting McCourty and then they announced that they actually were trading him. So uh, they got something back for him. Are, are you kind of surprised that McCourty – uh, playing at, at in the last year of a $3 million deal um, w- was moved out of Cleveland considering the, the position of need that he plays? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the Joe Hayden cutting, you know, and I'm not saying Jason McCourty is Joe Hayden, but last year when Sashi Brown was like, hey, take a pay cut or we're going to cut you, it's like, why do you need him to take a pay cut? You've got buckets of cap room and he's your best corner. You know, I'm not saying Jason McCourty was still their best corner, but but he's the most experienced returning guy and it was a position that was sorely thin last year so it's a head scratch to just kind of give him away to New England for a sixth round pick Um, definitely just given the position he played I would rather see him on this roster adding some depth but maybe maybe John Dorsey has a has a master plan in the draft or something I don't know yeah I mean there Jason McCourty played at an elite level last season and you know, he, he, he was a great corner in Tennessee, but he was regressing and he had a bounce back year last season uh, and, and earned that number one corner spot. I, I thought they were just going to keep him to see what else he could bring. Um, but it, I think it's just Dorsey bringing in his guys. McCourty's uh, much older than the core of this roster. Obviously, he's, he's past 30. So um, I, I get it in that regard, but um, I'd say cornerback still is the Browns' most desirable position right now, uh, and Jason McCourty uh, could have helped. Could have helped again. So uh, I thought that was interesting. But Chris, uh, we've we've talked about it a little bit already on this podcast. But uh, very early on in free agency, the Browns signed Donald Stevenson and, and Chris Hubbard, uh, and then rumors of them, uh, as you said earlier, they were that they were going hard after Nate Solder. You know, three offensive tackles they were going after in free agency. That all but pointed to Joe Thomas retiring. And I believe in day two of free agency, news broke uh, that Joe Thomas was hanging it up after 11 years in a Cleveland Browns uniform, uh, 10 and a half seasons of playing every single snap. Uh, Chris, what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts on Joe Thomas's career? Uh, first off, it's a sad day in Cleveland because Joe Thomas was uh... – I mean, easily the best player to don a Browns uniform since 1999. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, a fantastic talent, fantastic locker room guy. And uh, he's starting to show off his personality a little bit on social media. So hopefully we can see more of him in this second life because uh, he is a, a fun follow on Twitter and has a nice uh, podcast as well. Um but but this is not a surprise, Bob. I think you and I both saw this coming. I mean, when the when the when the Nate Soldier rumors or reports started uh, becoming uh, you know real, uh, it, it was very clear that that Joe Thomas wasn't going to be back then. You don't chase a tackle like Nate Soldier without promising him kind of the left tackle side. I don't think Nate Soldier was going to come here to play right tackle. So. When those reports started coming out, it, it became pretty clear to me that Joe Thomas wasn't coming back uh, just because of the, the high-caliber tackle they were chasing. And and you know what? It's unfortunate that Joe Thomas only experienced one winning season in Cleveland, and that was his rookie year, 10-6. and six. 
Uh, but but he is the true Iron Man. Easily one of the toughest players to ever play football with his uh, 10,000 plus consecutive snap streak coming to an end last year. The only season he did not make the Pro Bowl. Uh, cert- like I said, certainly a Hall of Famer. One of the best uh, tackles to play the game. And, and it's kind of a shame that uh, Cleveland wasn't able to build around having such a transcendent talent uh, for a decade. Yeah, um, definitely a sad day um, for, for for many obvious reasons. I mean, Joe Thomas, since the day he was drafted, was the best Brown in, in, in uniform every season um, and is now going down as one of the best offensive linemen ever. Uh, he deserves every accolade and, and praise that he's received since announcing his retirement and uh, Chris to your point about his personality uh you know Joe Thomas is getting a little grumpy the past few years uh and, and uh was not uh shying back from some of his criticisms criticisms of Cleveland and Cleveland management um so this day I, I felt even before the injury was coming sooner rather than later I, I I strongly believe if the Browns were uh even even close to playoff contention, he would probably be back for another two or three years, um, as long as his body was allowing that. Um, but it, it's hard. I mean, it, as much as I'm filled with sadness that he's no longer going to be anchoring down the left tackle position, I'm equally filled with shame that the Browns were so bad and that they had the, the greatest player at his position for a decade uh, and have nothing to show for it. And when you're an offensive lineman, you know, I could watch tape of Odell Beckham Jr. I could watch one play and tell you that's why he's one of the best wide receivers in the game right now. Uh, You know, you would have to watch 10,000 snaps of Joe Thomas consecutively playing uh, to fully understand his greatness. And without the team aspect of success uh, that, that the Browns never had with Joe Thomas as their left tackle, I think is a shame because I think it will somewhat diminish his legacy in the long term and may go down as a forgotten great. Oh, certainly. And, and, and I think it's easier to be a forgotten great when you play in, uh, on the offensive line. First off, great offensive linemen on great teams get forgotten easy enough. Uh, so when you're on an infamous team, uh, it's easy to be forgotten. But Bob, here's a stat for you. Over 6,800 past snaps blocked and only allowed 30 sacks. That is pretty insane. 10,000-plus uh, 10, 10, snaps in a row played and, and, and only allowing 30 sacks in over 6,000 uh, pass snaps blocked. Pretty, pretty impressive stuff from Joe Thomas. Certainly going to the Hall of Fame, 10-time Pro Bowler, and uh, he will be missed. Uh, certainly... Uh, Easily most people's favorite Brown because he he's easily the best uh, player to don the uniform uh, since they've come back. Yeah, definitely, uh, and sometimes the only good one <laughs> in a season. So, yeah, de- definitely will be missed. But Chris, um, you think that the the Browns are are definitely drafting a tackle? 
how high are you willing to 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 bet that they will they'll go they'll pull the trigger on offensive linemen? I think easily in one of their first four picks. So so either one four thirty three or thirty five. I think that they will draft a, a tackle there or the left tackle of the future there. Maybe throw them into the fire right away if they get them at four. But uh, yeah, I, I think left tackle has become a high priority. All due respect to the guys that just signed. Um, they're losing a Hall of Famer, and they need to get a young guy in here to develop at at one of the most important positions in all of football. Um, I don't know if it's going to come via trade or you know moving back or whatever, but but I think they're going to get their quarterback of the future at number one. And I think at one thirty three or thirty five, or excuse me, four thirty three or thirty five, they will get their left tackle of the future as well. Yeah. Um... I do think they're going to draft somebody. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be in the first round, though. I think this is offensive line is going to be a position they take with one of those three second round picks. Um, just from the way the talent is stacking in this draft, I, I don't see the Browns, if they stay at four, taking an offensive lineman, considering some of the options that will be available to them at that point. Um, you know, Sean Coleman is on this roster, uh, was a mid-round selection a couple years ago and you know if not for I believe a, an ankle injury at the time of the draft some thought that he was a late first round early second round talent in that draft he's in he has the inroad to that starting left tackle position uh, Chris Hubbard most likely at the right tackle so you know maybe they already have their starting left tackle in Sean Coleman um, that's what this off or this summer and training camp will be uh, able to prove that further um, but for for now, uh, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think the Browns will spend a draft pick on, on offensive linemen. I don't think it'll be in the first round, though. Yeah, I, I think it'll be tough to draft one four overall unless John Dorsey is just enamored with someone who you know we're, we're not looking at. But the only caveat I will say is if Buffalo gives them the twelve and twenty two pick to go up and get their quarterback, then obviously they'll have three first round picks. I could see it then, but. Um, I don't know how feasible that scenario is. Uh, so so that, that would be the only caveat. I do kind of agree with you. Um, but unless they trade back or maybe move back into the first round like they did with Njoku, which is obviously something we can't really predict given the draft board we have. But I think if, they, if, if things are as they are, it's more likely going to happen at that 33 or 35 range. Well, speaking of the draft and, and particularly uh, the top four selections in the draft, uh, the New York Jets uh, made a deal over the weekend with the India- Indianapolis Colts, uh, moving up a few spots to take that number three selection, uh, giving up a number of second round picks in this draft and next year's draft. Um, so the Jets making a move, leapfrogging the Browns at four. Uh, and Chris, I mean, you don't make this trade uh, to draft anybody really Uh except a quarterback. So I think we can slot the Jets in taking a quarterback. How does that impact the Browns draft strategy uh, with the number one and number four pick? Well, Wikipedia already has done that. They have QB as the position for the Jets. They don't have a player. They don't have a college or anything. They just have QB right there. So uh, uh, someone at Wikipedia is reading between the lines as well. Um, a couple of thoughts. First off, you don't, I, I agree with you. You don't trade three second round picks to move up three spots and not take a quarterback. So so clearly the Jets are zoning in on someone. Uh, it's going to be very interesting what happens in these first four picks. I, I actually think the New York Giants control the Browns' fate now more than the Jets. 
because I, I, I think the Browns are going to get their guy at one. It's not going to affect the number one pick at all, obviously, because you control your own destiny at one. The Giants are the wild card. Are they taking a QB at two? Are they staying pat at two and taking another player best available? Or are they going to try and leverage their second overall pick with a team who wants a quarterback? Because that could pose some problems for the Browns if they are serious about trading the number four pick. So I actually think that this move puts the Giants in control of what happens with the Browns at number four. The Browns don't care who the Jets draft because they're already going to get their guy. I think it puts more of a spotlight on that Giants pick at number two because obviously they have Eli Manning, so they don't need to go quarterback. But Buffalo sitting there with two picks and a need at QB. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts here, and obviously there's a lot of wild cards here. Uh, Denver signed Casey Keenum, but... I could see Denver maybe dating a QB as well. Uh, maybe not. Who knows if it, if they're going to do it that high after signing Casey Keenum. But I guess the question they have to ask themselves is, is Casey Keenum the answer or a stopgap? And do they still need a premium to, to invest a, a premium pick at a quarterback? So there are some unanswered questions there, no doubt. But I think this trade just puts the spotlight on the Giants more so than anything else. Yeah. Um a number of things there. First off, I mean, Case Keenum is just signed to a two-year deal with the Broncos, so I think the Broncos could make a strong case and reasoning for a quarterback, and I think they're going to take a hard look at that and are are, are in play to uh, slot into that number two spot. Um, <clears throat> a, a couple things about this Jets move. First off, it gives great clarity to what the Browns will have available at number four. So if it's three straight quarterbacks, the Browns will be able to take the best available non-quarterback in the draft, which is oftentimes the the best player in the draft. And I think will hold true in this draft. So we're talking about a Bradley Chubb, a Saquon Barkley, uh, I think a Fitzpatrick or Denzel Ward, um, you know, you could get a game changing player on, on, uh, with that number four pick. I agree with you. The Giants have a lot of leverage right now, and I'm sure they are taking a lot of calls with the Broncos, with the Bills, uh, even the Cardinals uh, are in play for a quarterback. So what they do uh, will send a lot of dominoes. I think this forces the Browns' hands, though, um, going back to that Jets move, to absolutely take their quarterback on number one. They're not going to risk the chance of not getting their guy, um, considering that whoever else they are enamored with will most likely be available at four. Um, the The Jets, though, you know, clearly the Browns are going to take a quarterback, and the Jets had to have played this logic game uh, with themselves. They're, they're willing to take the third best, the third quarterback off the board. I think that's a good sign for, for the strength of this quarterback class. You don't make that move to, to slide up to the number three spot to take uh, Brandon Whedon <laughs> at that position, you know. <laughs> I believe he was the third quarterback in that draft. Or maybe I think he was the fourth. Tannehill was the third. He was the fourth. But but, but st- still, point points the same. Yeah. I think this uh this is shaping up to be a very strong quarterback draft class. So I take some uh hope in that and that the Browns uh will most likely get their guy and get a go quarterback for, for once. So uh that's good news. Um, I, I don't want the Browns to trade out of that number four pick. I, I get what you're saying, that uh, they're going to field some calls, that it's going to put some pressure on them uh, to to make a decision. But 
I keep thinking about that 2016 draft, Chris, uh, and the top five players in that draft in order. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and Jalen Ramsey all in two seasons are pro bowlers. And the Browns traded out of that number two spot. They could have had uh, anybody but Goff in, in that draft class. Number four is a premium position, and with uh, quarterback needy, needy teams ahead of them, they could get the pe- best player in the draft. Uh, that's a that's a spot that you don't trade out of. Uh, and, and considering the the still the urgent need for playmakers, uh, I, I want the Browns to stay at four. And with the Jets taking a quarterback at three, uh, I want them to stay at four even more. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm mostly in your camp. Because when you look at the Browns, they essentially have four first-round picks. Number 33 and 35 is as good a, as you're going to get in the second round. I mean, obviously 34 is better than 35, but, you, but the point is the same. You know, They essentially have four first-round picks. Uh, they're going to get a really good guy at 33. They're going to get some spillover from the first round who because somebody else reached and probably get another spillover at 35 because somebody else reached. So they've got four premium picks. The only offer that would tempt me is if Buffalo puts those two first-rounders on there because then, man, you could get five premium guys and 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 I, I know top four is a little bit more elite than, than 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 at the back but and I know you just cited that draft but there have been guys who have who have been drafted all over the first round at a pro bowl level I think Odell Beckham was in that 12 range Aaron Rodgers was in the you know early 20s and I, I'm not saying they're going to get a guy like that but but they could and so that would be the only offer that would tempt me I also think when you look at it logically you know, the Jets may not have been willing to settle for third. Let's not forget the New York Giants were the guys at number two. I don't think the Giants were about to hand the Jets their quarterback of the future. There could have been a little bit of a, no, we're not trading with you kind of factor there. So I think the Jets wanted to get a quarterback. No, some other guys are angling for a quarterback like Denver, Arizona, Buffalo, and had to make a move to get one of the three best. Um, I, I think the number one pick for Cleveland is clear now. They have to take a quarterback there if they want to get their guy. Because I think in some way, shape, or form, three quarterbacks are going to go top three. Because I, I think the Giants have too much to gain from trading that pick not to do it, be it Denver, Arizona, or Buffalo. And I think that kind of forces Cleveland's hand because I don't think the other two teams who don't get that number two pick are going to trade up for the fourth best quarterback. I think they'll be content to wait because if you look at how the draft plays out, most teams after Cleveland, other than Denver, um, between Denver and Buffalo, have a quarterback set. So I, I think whoever gets the two uh, kind of ends the sort of trading game, unless John Dorsey knows something about Saquon Barkley and is, you know, blowing up all this smoke to try to get some trade market going there but but I I agree with you Bob I think the Browns are going to take a guy at one and then take another blue chip guy at four yeah don't get me started on that 2014 NFL draft uh, disaster of of Browns decisions Uh, 10 of the first 17 draft picks have gone to the Pro Bowl uh, and Justin Gilbert uh, is he still on the Steelers (laughs) I don't know I don't know but then, then it was Johnny Manziel and they could have had Derek Carr and Teddy Bridgewater Right. Not to drum up that one, too. But they traded up to get Johnny Manziel, and they could have had Derek Carr. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, 
for, for me, uh, we've traded down too, too many times and, and traded out of those premium positions. If you go back historically looking at the top 10 of that first round, um, you're, you're well over 50% uh, chance of getting an all-pro player. Um, chances are still high that they could draft, they could hit on all five. It, it's it, the, they, they are in such premium positions, but that, that top 10, top five, I mean, you can get some, some game-changing prospects, and, and I think the Browns are, are set up to do just that. Um, we'll get some more clarity with uh, the draft as we're heading into uh, April. Uh, the, the entire Browns management is going to Sam Darnold's pro day, so we'll have some uh, things to talk about, I'm, I'm sure, uh, we're, once we uh, get the, the report on, on what happens with that. But Chris, we will now turn to the March Madness. Uh, the first two rounds are over. The Sweet 16 bracket is set, and my entire bracket is red. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a disaster. Uh, thankfully, that we lost last week's episode, uh, and nobody knows what I picked. But uh, it, it was not good. It was not good at all. I, I picked Virginia all the way to the Final Four, just to give you a little bit of a taste uh, of the misery I'm feeling. But um, some of these results lead me to believe that most people have a pretty shot pr- ballot. Uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts of the first two rounds of this playoff? Well, three of my four Final Four are gone too. Thank goodness a- anyone who picked Kentucky in that South region is doing cartwheels right now because it- it's shaping up pretty nicely for them. But but who knows, man? There's been upsets all over this thing, as you mentioned. So who knows what's going to happen there? Some his- his- history for you. Obvious one is... Number 16 seeds improved to 1 and 135 against number ones, knocking off Virginia. I will miss UMBC. That was a fun team to watch. Unfortunately, number 16 seeds are 0 and 1 in the second round, losing to Kansas State. But but man, that was a gritty team. That was just fun. Both Cincinnati teams choking hardcore in Nashville, Bob. What is going on in your city? blowing 12 and 16 point leads in the second round uh ohio did not fare too well in this tournament all four teams Wright state and ohio state also bounced um very early Wright state in the first and ohio state in the second round um south region for the first time ever none of the top four seeds made it out virginia arizona tennessee cincinnati all eliminated so there's another sort of uh, history for you. Kentucky, the highest seed left at number five. Michigan State losing to Syracuse. Uh, unfortunately, the podcast didn't come out because that was one I did give you guys. That was one upset. I, I liked the uh, winner of that playing game there. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a fun tournament so far. A very fun tournament. But, Bob, I, I want to pose a question to you. Okay. The, the biggest problem with the college football playoff is everyone says that there are a lot of elite teams that don't make it, like Ohio State and USC this year, two Power 5 champs that didn't get a shot. But but the four teams that are there, it's like, okay, these are the best, the best, the best team wins. And then in March Madness, and, and I'm not trying to hate on some of these teams, but there are a lot of bad teams that make the tournament. You know, there are 68 teams, and it's not the 68 best teams because of the conference tournaments. There are a lot of really bad teams that make it, and it makes it for a fun first round. But then as the tournament goes on, you kind of realize that the best team's not going to win. 
Which format do you like better, Bob? Do you like the format where you're going to get the best team, guaranteed? Or do you like the format that's fun, that includes the little guys, and gives them a shot? Uh, I mean, if I were to choose a format, I, I would choose the NCAA tournament bracket. It's it's certainly more fun to watch. Um, I don't think that is scalable to football. Um, and I'll, that wasn't what you're asking, but I, I don't think that could could scale to sixty to a, to a sixty four team playoff. I, I do think there's room to grow uh, in, in the college football playoff, as we've discussed a, a number of times on this podcast. But I just think it's more fun, uh, more enjoyable to just to watch the chaos. I don't think that, um, you know, the all the teams that are deserving of title aspirations make it to this tournament bracket. I, I don't think that teams that are the bubble teams that are left out um are, are champion contenders um uh, they all have a chance and, and more often than not uh, a team that is capable of winning the the championship and, and that most people you know more often than not it's not a surprise of, of who gets that final four maybe there's a one shocker but it, it, it's it's good teams getting getting to the championship games in, in the basketball tournament. I don't think it would uh, water down the, the competition uh, if we were to to transpose a larger tournament to to the football. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a fan uh, of March Madness and the tournament bracket that they set up. I, I think it makes for much more enjoyable uh, viewing uh, and, and leaves a lot less foregone conclusions. It's an interesting question because I think that the college football semifinals, while they could be expanded to a quarterfinal round and you'd get some some worthy teams in there, the one strength they have is it's like, look, man, these are four elite teams. You're going to see the Clash of the Titans every year. And that's fun in a way. And with a bracket like the NCAA tournament, you're not always guaranteed that. Now, a few years back when we had Kentucky, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Duke, you know, it just worked out that that three of the four number one seeds got there, and Michigan State kind of the underseeded seven. But I, I I think they're both fun in their own way. But it does. It's always interesting to me because because the first week of the March Madness tournament is so much fun when there's a lot of upsets, but sometimes it goes overboard, and the final four becomes a bit of a meh because there are too many upsets, and it you know kind of denies us some of those Clash of the Titans down the road. I'm not I'm not hating on the little schools. I love it when the little schools win, and I would love to see a team like Central Florida compete for the football championship on a consistent basis. And I think football needs to find a little more of a balance to include some of these little guys to inject a little bit of March Madness in their tournament, maybe an eight-team format where you get a, a Power 5 team in. But yeah, you know, I think there is a downside to maybe too much chaos in this tournament because sometimes I've felt that the Final Four is a bit of a letdown. Yeah. I, get I think there's value in both, and I think – um, if, yeah, I think this, the setups that they have right now are conducive to the sports that they're in. Um, I don't want to see UMBC go up against Alabama <laughs> in football. That would just, that would be a disaster. Um, 
but I, I agree with you. I think there are chances to get, you know, a team like UCF into the college football playoff, um, a team from the non-power five every year, getting at least a chance and, and getting some hope. And I think that um, if if we start to do that, we would see some upsets. And I think it would inject some incitement, excitement in, into the football playoff even more so. I mean, it, it's still an exciting event um, and, and some uncertainty because – yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the the four teams that make it in the football playoff are, you know, they go through the gauntlet and they have to not only have a very successful season, but then argue for the merits of success. I mean, it, it it's a very rigorous process to get invited to that playoff. Um, I think that uh, it would benefit from, from opening up a little bit. All right, Bob, you have a clean slate with the final four. I've got three clean slates. Let, let's do a mulligan pick. Who do you got in our redo final four? I'm obviously sticking with Kentucky as one of my four, but but who are your side of redo final four? Yeah, if I had to redo it, I agree with you. Uh, Kentucky. Um, I, I did pick Villanova all the way to the uh, championship game, so I'm sticking with them um, in that Midwest bracket. Uh I got to go with Duke. I think Duke will they, – they, they looked pretty strong in, in those two games. But that's going to be a sweet matchup, Duke versus Syracuse. I'm very looking forward to, to watching that one. And I think Michigan in, in the west bracket. All right, I got Kentucky and Michigan as well on the left side, but don't sleep on Gonzaga. Um, I'm going to go with West Virginia. Uh I think I, I I do think man that the 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 right side of the bracket's a little more traditional. There there are a few more powers there. I think the East region's the one region that looks normal. Um, now I, that, that that's going to be a fun kind of you know some clashes of the Titans there. But I think West Virginia is going to surprise some people. And I honestly don't know who's going to win the Midwest, Bob. I don't know. I'm just going to pick. I don't want to pick Duke. I don't have confidence in Clemson either. Yeah. And you know what? There's got to be one one seed. I'm going Kansas. Kansas is going to get through. Yeah. I mean, I, I get not wanting to pick Duke, but, you know, Kansas and Syracuse aren't far behind <laughs> not, uh, in terms of dislike. So, uh, yeah, that's a very traditional right side of the bracket. You're correct. Man, Clemson put the hurting down on Auburn. That yeah. That is the one game that was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the few games that I actually watched was that one. So, Jeez, you chose Portland. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, moving uh, to uh, closer to home and some professional basketball, checking in with the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, Chris, uh, it wouldn't be two weeks talking about the Cavs if not for more breaking news and drama. And this one, rather unfortunate, Tyron Lue is going to take a leave of absence to uh, citing his health. Uh, he's citing a lack of sleep uh some some chest pains uh he's had to leave three coaching uh, three games this season uh due to these health concerns uh and he felt that it was time to to step away get healthy and hopefully come back in time for a playoff push um chris said this is a bi-weekly occurrence that some Cavs drama happens but uh, what are your thoughts about tyron lose stepping away and uh, how is this going to impact the team? Man, the team's about to get Kevin Love back, and then, then it's 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 like whack a mole this year, Bob. Like one one thing gets fixed, and another thing, 
breaks it. It's just it's just crazy. But first and foremost, you know, Tyrone Lue has to get get all of his health figured out. Uh, this is not a, you know a laughing matter. Um, obviously, it's a high stress job being an NBA head coach, um, and and I'm sure that that is not helping. And I'm sure that it's not helping that that not only is it a high stress job normally, but he's coaching on probably the biggest stage in the NBA. Maybe Golden State would have something to say about it, but it seems like the spotlight and the drama is always on Cleveland, aka LeBron James, and and I'm sure that that is just not not helping situations. So obviously, want Tyloo to be healthy and well and, and take the time he needs to get right. Uh, Larry Drew will lead the team in the interim. Had some decent seasons with Atlanta. Also had one season with Milwaukee that uh, wasn't exactly stellar. But he has coached in the playoffs before. Uh, he took a team to the conference semifinals. So so he does have some experience there. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the only thing I want to think of is, you know, just Ty Lue getting healthy, getting back, and and and, uh, and just everything all right, right health-wise with him. Yeah, when you say... Uh didn't have a good season in Milwaukee that 1567 worst record in the NBA that season uh yeah for, first off um hope Tyloo gets healthy and you know from what I've been reading it doesn't look to be like a a long-term absence it's going to be a, a a short leave um and hopefully he'll come back energized recharged uh and ready to lead the Cavs through another gauntlet of the postseason uh I'm confident in what Larry Drew can do though he's been with these calves uh as an assistant uh for as long as Ty Lue was an assistant he was hired in 2014 so he's been there since LeBron has come back he knows this team uh probably as well as anybody uh on on that coaching staff uh and he has tons of experience I'm sure he'll do fine um the calves though can't the calves need to get healthy man (laughs) they not just Tyron Lue I hope I I sincerely hope he gets in, in a right state of mind and, and, and healthy, but on the court, you know, Rodney Hood, Shetty Osman, Tristan Thompson, uh, Kevin Love is going to be back tonight against the Bucks, but on a minutes restriction, um, Larry Ness Jr. Isn't playing tonight. He's out with an injury. It's just, uh, Cavs are, are decimated with in- injuries right now. Uh, and I think about 12 games left until the postseason. uh, you know, time is running out for them to get right, to get some chemistry and get going. Um, I, I hope it starts tonight with, with Love coming back. I think the reality is, Bob, their their chemistry round is going to be the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I I just think that they don't they're like you said they're running out of time, and hopefully they don't draw someone too crazy in that first round like Milwaukee. Uh, that would be like the worst scenario trying to get things together against that team. Hopefully things happen a week or so before so they can get things together at least in practice, but. Um, yeah, I think they're crunched to the end of the season. I just think they're just going to play not to get anyone else more injured because it's just been one of those kind of disaster seasons for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's been rough. I mean, think about everything that's happened from losing the, the championship to, to the Warriors from Kyrie Irving to Isaiah Thomas to uh, Kevin Love. Uh, his injury and then his uh, announcement of mental health issues, the the backdrop of LeBron leaving over the summer. Uh, it's been quite, quite the, uh, the ordeal this season. I, I didn't think it could get more dramatic, but uh, 
uh, this season certainly has. The only refreshing sign, and I don't want to say it says it's a refreshing sign, but the Warriors are, are finally hitting some injury bugs too. They're, they're starting to struggle with that. And, and I never wish injury on anyone, but the last three years, the untold story of the Warriors is that they've basically been healthy. And, and now this year, they're starting to, to get bit by it a little bit. Um, again, I don't wish injuries on anyone. I, I, I think using the words refreshing is, uh, is the wrong word. But, but from the standpoint of it, you know, at least the Cavs aren't the only you know, top-shelf team dealing with this. Um, so, so they can breathe a little sigh of relief for once. But yeah, they got to get healthy, and they got to get healthy fast. Yeah, for sure. All righty, Bob, it is getting close to opening day. We will have more baseball for you in the coming weeks. But until then, we are going to have to stick with winter sports, March Madness, a little more NFL stuff. Hopefully we'll see what happens in the rest of free agency. The Browns do something crazy. But uh, for now, you're going to have to wait till next week to get another episode of Clay Talk. Again, we apologize for the technical difficulties we had on our last episode. Uh, we will get that up for you as soon as possible. So uh, you'll have couple episodes to look forward to this week but um you know you can follow us on twitter or instagram at family road sports you can also uh, check out familyroadsports.com for all our old episodes and subscribe via itunes by clicking the icon in the upper right corner or going to itunes search family road sports click click talk and uh, hit subscribe it's just that simple we thank you for your support hope you come back next week and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of march madness hopefully your bracket isn't too busted and uh, until then Go Cavs. Uh, have another have a strong week week with Larry Drew and, and hopefully uh Kevin Love will come back okay. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.